This is the voice of the Trumpet Magazine. News, economy, politics, trends, discovery, health, family, the Bible, the future. This is Trumpet Hour, the week in review. Welcome to Trumpet Hour. I'm your host, Philip Nice, and today is Friday, October 20th. I'm with our panel of Philadelphia trumpet writers, Richard Palmer, Jeremiah Jacques, Andrew Miller, and Mihailo Zekich. Hello there. Good afternoon. It's good to be here. These account for much of the content you read in the Philadelphia Trumpet News Magazine and thetrumpet.com. Go to thetrumpet.com slash subscribe. Uh, and everything that you hear on the Friday Week in Review editions of this program. And on the Friday Week in Review, we divide the globe into four regions and finish with a panel discussion. Of course, this week we will be discussing the massacre in Israel and its ongoing repercussions. And this week we're going to start with the region of Europe. So Richard Palmer, can you give us an update of Europe? So, of course, the events in Israel are driving just about everything that's happening uh, in Europe this week. One of the big things we've seen is lots of world leaders popping over to Israel to be at the scene of the action. Rishi Sunak has been over there. Joe Biden has been over there. And German Chancellor Olaf Schulz was there. And uh, I think he was sounding a bit more supportive than Mr. Biden was during his visit. But what's also remarkable is that unlike Mr. Biden, Mr. Schultz was able to visit some of the neighboring Arab countries. It highlights you know, not only does does Germany have now some of these good connections uh, to Israel or this growing relationship with Israel, but they also have much better connections to some of these neighboring Arab states. Uh, the German defense minister, Boris Pistorius, he visited Lebanon and the German military mission that is on the ground on Israel's border in Lebanon. And then you had reports in the German media that German special forces units and equipment were flown into Cyprus to prepare for military missions in the Middle East. So no missions announced, but certainly preparation for this elite German special forces, the KSK, to kind of go in there if they need to rescue hostages um, or kind of be the, the, the tip of the spear in some kind of Middle Eastern military option. So a lot of the news this week revolves around Europe kind of diplomatically and militarily being ready to be more involved in the Middle East. And I think we can talk a little bit about kind of why that is with our main story. So what's the main story out of Europe? Just like in much of the rest of the world, I think Europe has been shocked by this outpouring of sympathy for Hamas. And these scenes that you've seen of crowds of largely young Palestinian men protesting in major cities. It's happened in uh, in Britain, it's happened in America, but there's a definite feeling of menace coming from this in Europe. And you're seeing an uptick now in terrorist attacks as Hamas kind of inspires copycats all across Europe. So you've got a Muslim terrorist stabbed a teacher to death in a, in, in a northern French city last Friday. We mentioned that very briefly on this show. That was during the, the day of rage on which we recorded last week. You had two Swedish soccer fans were shot dead in Brussels in Belgium. I read an account from somebody in Belgium that basically talked about how the whole EU quarter of Belgium was was eerily quiet and kind of shut down for days after Israel's invasion because everyone was scared. Uh, I've, I've been to Brussels. This The EU area is right next door to this big Muslim area. And EU leaders, were they were fearful for, for their own personal lives because they were afraid of riots and, and attacks coming in from the Muslim part of town. 
And you see this even, you see this in France with some of their false alarms. You see, uh, well, they had six airports were evacuated this week in France due to an emailed bomb threat. Uh, the Palace of Versailles was evacuated three times in five days, again, over different terrorist threats. Brussels is on its highest terrorist alert. France as a whole is on its highest terror alert. The country's deployed 7,000 soldiers, uh, and they've got 84%. A survey this week showed 84% of Frenchmen are worried about terrorist attacks. 61% fear that schools could be the next target. So the attack, Hamas's attack on Israel has produced a very real fear in Israel that you know, if you've got people, if you've got people celebrating that attack, and if they're celebrating the murder of Jewish babies, you know, there's a there is a disturbing number of you know non-Muslim, just people in the West who go along like that and think like that. But there's also many others, and I think a great deal more others that are very worried about that. And they're worried, okay, if these people are celebrating the murder of Jewish babies, well, what other civilian targets might they be celebrating? And could those civilian targets be in my city or even me? Europe is afraid. I I watched recently a, a 9-11 documentary about uh, the September 11th terrorist attacks here in the United States. And I had the actual audio of the air traffic control and that feeling of fear and that feeling of not knowing where is this going to come from, it can come from anywhere. And the fact that you said they were celebrating the murder of Jewish babies, this is not hyperbole. This is not, well, they're celebrating the people who are celebrating the people who did the murder. They are celebrating the actual murders. They are, they, you see them in the streets holding up the phones with bloody families' bodies on the phone. They are celebrating the actual murder. They're not celebrating the Palestinian people or the cause of freedom. They're celebrating the murder. If people are doing that by their hundreds and by their thousands in metropolitan cities in Europe, as well as here in the United States, then there is reason to fear. Um, so what, what do you think is the larger context here uh, for our readers to be thinking about? So I think this is where what we talked about as the kind of opening stories and our main story really tie together, uh, where you're really watching Bible prophecies that we've come to so often in Daniel chapter 11 come to life. I've seen a number of excellent articles this week that have talked about the way that Hamas's attack on Israel have really empowered Iran, that they brought out protesters across the streets of all of the Middle East. And really, Iran is pulling the strings of all of those protesters, that they are, um, you know, they're the king of the Arab street, the leaders of the Arab street, I think was the way that the spectator put it this weekend. And so we're seeing the rise of Iran as the king of the south. I mean, they're already, I think they're already fulfilling that role, really. But you're make, seeing that more and more clearly. This is cementing their dominance of the Middle East. And and I think that's what, uh, what Mihailo here focused on in the very first article that he wrote uh, just a day or two after the attack, that that's what this is all about. It's about Iran becoming this or cementing its role as this king of the South power. And that's something you can go back to some of our earliest trumpet print editions, all the way back, you know, I think it was 91 or 92. Trumpet editor-in-chief Gerald Flurry is talking about Iran being this king of the South. And back then he made a prophecy that was pretty remarkable. You know, He said it's not going to be the United States that targets Iran, that deals with Iran. I mean, really, it's not his prophecy. It's the Bible's prophecy that 
actually you're going to have a European power that faces up to Iran. And you know, he's writing this in the aftermath of the Gulf War, where America was kind of playing global policeman and sorting out the Middle East. The idea that then Europe would take over that role is quite a big change. But with America retreating from the world under Biden, with US president not even being welcome in a lot of these Arab states, you can really see now that Germany and Europe, they both have the ability and then they're threatened by these actions in the Middle East. It spills over immediately. You know, attack from Hamas immediately spills over onto the streets of Brussels. And so they've got the need to step up. They've got the power to do more. Uh, and like I said, you're getting even Germany getting its military ready. So you're watching the king of the north now, this prophesied European power, prepare to confront the king of the south. And all of those kind of pieces of Daniel chapter 11 are coming together. And this is a this is a prophecy where so much of Daniel chapter 11, there are specific prophecies in there that have already proven true, that are just undisputably true. It's some of that describes events that that are account written in the same way in the history books. We're now seeing so much of the rest of Daniel chapter 11 being fulfilled. And then Daniel chapter 11 read, leads right into Daniel chapter 12 and the prophecy of a Messiah intervening in world events. And so it's a, it's a sign that that prophecy is sure, that we're coming very close to that time now and that we're about to see Jesus Christ play a major role and you know, return and put an end to, to all of these different conflicts that we're seeing across the Middle East. That uh, book, The King of the South, by Trumpet Editor-in-Chief Gerald Flurry. Go to thetrumpet.com. The King of the South, original copyright date 1992. And did I mention this? I don't think I mentioned this on air, but uh, Nick Irwin, he's another important member of the editorial staff for the Philadelphia Trumpet and our other magazines. I, I, it was in a conversation with him that he said, have you noticed that The King of the South and, and other books and booklets about prophecy get updated before major things happen and not after. I teach journalism to kids at Imperial Academy, and we're always saying we need a news peg, you know, so there, there, a news event happens, and then you tie your your article to that news event. But these books get, uh, Nick Irwin was saying, you know, when they get updated, like in this case, King of the South got updated, massively updated, massively expanded in early 2023, when nobody was really talking about Islam. Right. Like it was kind of uh, there was a little bit of a whatever happened to Islam <laughs> kind of feeling, if I can if I can say it that way. And right. Samuel Huntington is kind of regarded as a secular prophet for his book. And it, well, his article, Clash of Civilizations. And if I remember correctly, that was 95. I think the book came out 96, maybe 97. And he is regarded as being well ahead of his time for writing, for forecasting that. This yeah. is several years before that. And I would be surprised. I would be surprised if he had anything in there so dogmatic about Iran, right? Like that like no, Iran he doesn't. Iran in the Iran in the early nineties could have I mean, anything could have happened to Iran <laughs> in the nineties. Uh it was nothing. It was nobody, nobody's paying attention to it. So King of the South massively updated uh, the whole editorial staff was working on it there for a while and then it went to press and then we see it become all the more relevant shortly after that. So anyway, that's the King of the South at thetrumpet.com. Uh, thank you, Richard Palmer, for that Europe update. Now we need an Asia update. Jeremiah Jacques. Yeah, first, an interesting story about India. On Tuesday, India's top court refused to legalize same-sex marriage. So this was uh, just a landmark ruling, and it has surprised some in the West 
because, you know, India has so much history with Britain. It's a close partner to America. But despite all of that, India is refusing to follow the West's embrace of, you know, all things LGBTQ. Instead, India is going more the way of Russia and China on this issue. And it's another indication that India will eventually break with the U.S. and rally behind Russia. Speaking of Russia, a big meeting this week between Russian President Vladimir Putin and his Chinese counterpart, Xi Jinping. This was only Putin's second time leaving Russia since the International Criminal Court issued an arrest warrant for him back in March. So his first was to the, uh, the former Soviet Republic of Kyrgyzstan, and then this week he went to Beijing. So this meeting was for China's Belt and Road Forum. So there were, you know, dozens of world leaders there discussing ways to just kind of upend America's status as the only global superpower. But Putin was the guest of honor. And he and Xi Jinping held just a, a range of meetings designed to strengthen the Russia-China axis. Then a, uh, a related story also came this week when Russia's finance minister admitted that a huge number of the drones that Russia's using in its war against Ukraine come mainly from China. China has tried to present at least a semblance of neutrality in this whole war, but they've actually been supporting Russia in a number of ways since the beginning, and now we have more proof of that with this acknowledgement of where a lot of Russia's drones are coming from. And then uh, one final quick one here just about some fairly significant losses that the Russian forces suffered this week in Ukraine due to attackums. The attackum missiles finally showed up on the battlefields. Ukraine has been asking the United States for the powerful attackum tactical missile systems for, I think it's over a year now. Um, and the deliveries were delayed many times and they were slow walked, but they're finally there now. And because of the long range of these missiles, the Ukrainians were able to strike Russian air bases in the east of the nation, destroying nine Russian helicopters and an air defense launcher and some airstrips as well. So, so that's in Russian territory? Well, it's in east Ukraine. Okay. The Russians would call it Russian territory. Okay, right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the Russians, you know, they'll, they'll probably adapt to this new weaponry soon, and they'll start to pull back where they have their helicopters stationed and all that. They'll learn to defend against it. But until then... This brings some targets into range for Ukraine that used to be too far away for them to hit. So it's a most unwelcome development for Russia to see these uh, attackums suddenly on the battlefields. Right. That's that's quite a mix of, of uh, important events there. And you mentioned the issue of sexual perversion and how India said no. And I will, I will just keep hammering this. These are connected to world events. These are the cause of world events. You, you, we talk about these moral issues. And then we talk about things like battlefield, you know, for, back and forth. These things are connected to infrastructure, to economy, to terrorism, to wars. So you might be a news junkie, so to speak, and, and, and attack of missiles catch your eye. But realize and understand the connection between these two things. Uh, so what is the, the main Asia story this week? The one that caught my eye was that Russia and China are benefiting from the Israel-Hamas war because it is tilting the global power balance in their direction. So there was a uh, just a really insightful analysis on this topic in the Wall Street Journal. That was on Monday. And it makes the case that this new war in the Middle East is just stretching American and European resources. It's monopolizing their attention. And at the same time, it is relieving pressure on Russia and providing new opportunities to China. One part of this article that's focusing more on Russia says, 
as Washington's attention focuses on the Middle East, Russia is probably the clearest beneficiary of the spreading upheaval. And we've got a clip here that goes into a little more detail on this. The international attention will be drawn to another region, and Russia, of course, will be more or less uh, continuing its war of attrition against Ukraine. And this is also uh, positive from Russian point of view because uh, United States will have to get involved uh, on the side of Israel. Israel is strategic partner uh, among the most important strategic partners of uh, the United States, and that also means in the long run that Ukraine may face a situation where the Americans will no longer provide military aid. So that was geopolitical strategist Valina Chakarova. And what she's describing there is, of course, just excellent news from the Russian perspective. Many Americans were already experiencing a measure of what you could call Ukraine fatigue, even before the Israel-Gaza war broke out. And now with more resources and more bandwidth being allocated to the Israel-Gaza war, and especially if that war expands to include, you know, Lebanon, Iran, etc., um, all of that Ukraine fatigue among Americans could intensify. And then there's also the question of oil and gas. This is particularly relevant with Europe. Ever since Russia's war on Ukraine went full scale about 600 days ago, the Europeans have been trying to use less Russian energy, and they started to buy more from the Middle East just in order to kind of wean themselves off of uh, Russian hydrocarbons. But now with the war there, these Middle Eastern alternatives for Europe are becoming less secure, they could dry up, and that could send Europe crawling back to Russia for some of this. So those are some of the Russian benefits. And then this Wall Street Journal piece also says it's a similar situation with China, especially as China is preparing for a possible clash with the U.S. over the future of Taiwan. So this is, uh, you know, it's really about the U.S. being distracted and unable to stand up for its partners. But it's also about Russia and even more so China just trying to change global perceptions. You know, they're, they're trying to portray America as an unstable power that is largely responsible for the Middle Eastern conflict. Um, and on the other hand, to portray themselves and especially China as kind of a new global stabilizer, you know, a new, a new policeman that can do it a lot better than America could. So the, the Russians and the Chinese are trying to just shift global power and influence away from America and toward themselves, particularly with developing nations. And this war could really help them to do that. So in this confluence of energy and resources and morals and missiles and willpower and perception that is the Ukraine war and the Israel war, what is the ultimate development that we can look for? Well, there's a, a passage in the Gospel of Luke that's talking about the time that we're living in right now, and it calls it the times of the Gentiles. So basically, that's describing a time when the United States is no longer the main global power, and instead, nations like Russia and China, and eventually Germany as well, will instead be the main global powers. So it's a, it's a really dramatic shift that was foretold there, and if you look at the world today, with the situation in the Middle East and the increasing division in America that's just weakening the nation so much and the increasing determination of Russia and China, um, then you see how all of this can lead to global power 
just tilting more and more away from America and more and more toward China and Russia and others. And Trumpet editor-in-chief Gerald Flurry has said that the world has now entered into this prophesied era. He wrote an article in this month's Trumpet issue, and part of that says, The Gospel of Luke records his summary of these events that will unfold just before the end. Look at the nations today. You see great powers that have no misgivings about subverting, pillaging, or destroying another nation when it suits them, simply because they want land or wealth. How many dangerous nations do you see like that in the world around you today? We are living in this short span of time now. So, you know, it's a sobering read on where the world is on the timeline. And if any listener would like to better understand that passage in Luke and the related passages there, I I hope they'll check that article out. It's called World Leaders Who No Longer Have a Human Mind. I think that article is so important. I think that fills in a a very important uh, aspect of, of, of why things are happening the way they're happening. They're still teaching in universities. It's all a matter of, of resources and, and um, uh, uncontrollable trends and, and uh, socioeconomic status is the, is the cause of everything. That is not true. I mean, we, every, we can see that. Uh, so what is causing uh, these, these things to happen, these savage things to happen in many cases? You need you need to read that article. World leaders who no longer have a human mind, uh, and you quoted the Gospel of Luke. Mister Fleury quoted the Gospel of Luke. Who was it that was speaking in the Gospel of Luke, saying the phrase "the times of the Gentiles"? Yeah, it's a quote directly from Jesus Christ. Directly from Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian, and your church is is never gets around to mentioning that Jesus Christ prophesied all the time there's something massively missing and and he he did do that and he did that for an important reason and again it's not unrelated to all of his moral teaching these things are connected and you need the whole picture but anyway world leaders who no longer have a human mind is a, a really important article uh for for you to, to uh, look up there at thetrumpet.com. Next, we move to the epicenter, the region of the Middle East. Mihailo Zekic, please give us your update, sir. Well, aside from what everybody else has talked about, which was obviously relevant to the Middle East, there's been obviously a lot of different twists and turns, uh, unexpected events happening with the war between Israel and Hamas. On Tuesday, there was a failed rocket attack from Palestinian Islamic Jihad, or as I like to call them, Pidge, uh, another one of these terror groups that is supporting Hamas, and it crashed into a hospital in Gaza. News media originally claimed took taking Hamas's line that Israel bombed the hospital. That's apparently not the case. There's a lot of you in discussion whether the hospital actually is still standing. And if the oh, wreckage, it's still standing. Uh, it's still standing. I've seen it. It's still standing, and there's like a one meter by one meter hole in the parking lot. Okay. So there you go. Um, where 500 so, people were standing. Yeah, where apparently 500 people are standing in that one <laughs> meter by one meter spot. Yes, there's a lot of hoo-ha about that going out there. And other news around the Middle East, uh, there's been a lot going on, not just in Israel. Uh, on Wednesday, the United Nations sanctions on Iran's missile program, supporting the JCPOA from back in 2016, expired. Uh, these are supposed to be so-called snapback sanctions. That means if if uh, Iran engages in this kind of behavior of developing its missile program and uh, exchanging technology with other nations, then it's going. Uh, these sanctions are going to be put back in place. 
That didn't happen. But not only that, but the United States, which originally helped make these sanctions happen, they're refusing to renew these sanctions. Uh, so now Iran can basically go full steam ahead with its nuclear missile program, which it has been doing anyway, but now out in the open legally. And it's pretty blatant that the United States does not want to stop them. And then yesterday, a U.S. vessel in the northern Red Sea shot down three cruise missiles and several drones that were coming from the Houthi terror group in Yemen en route to the direction of Israel, most likely hitting some target around there. No one really knows for sure what their target was. The Houthis have threatened before to start attacking American positions if they entered uh, the war with Hamas, which, I mean, there's been groups in Iraq under Iran's thumb that have been making similar threats. So it looks like the war is starting to expand outside the localized area of the Levant into the greater Middle East. That sanctions expiration, so important, right at the time that we see Islamic terror in a way like we haven't seen it since 9-11, and really in a way not even then, the Iranian regime is able to pursue nuclear weapons and drag its people along with it and the Middle East along with it and the world if somebody doesn't stop them. But that rocket attack, Hamas runs Gaza. Hamas said, Israel just bombed our hospital. The press worldwide ran with that indicated that Israel conducted an airstrike on a hospital in Gaza. And then the next morning, like it was the next morning, the sun came up and you could see the hospital what had not been hit. The, the parking lot had been by something that caused a really small crater. And then they've got audio of two terrorists saying one of our rockets hit the hospital area. That's one of 450 rockets since October 7th, about 450 rockets that have hit Gaza. 450 Hamas terrorist rockets have hit their own people in Gaza, that being just one of them. Meanwhile, two that didn't hit Gaza landed on a hospital in Ashkelon in Israel. One of them specifically, I think, hit the children's ward. And that's not news. Oh, no. Like, I had no idea that that happened until someone pointed it out after the whole Hamas hitting their own hospital thing. You like, know, I saw that and I thought that was like from years ago or something. You telling me this just now is me finding out that this has been a recent thing. I mean, that's how poor the coverage of this is. I mean, uh, but whether it happened before, whether it's happening in this conflict, um, <laughs> you don't hear about that. And that's again this this moral aspect is is it's not about just who has has you know more guns or or, or whatever. There is a, a strong moral aspect evident in each of these news stories. But Mahila, you've got your main story that's that's related to all this. Go ahead and uh, report that to us, sir. Of course. Well, before we get into the who, what, where, when, here's a little clip that I want our listeners to just listen to that and guess what this is from. Now, if you were hearing that and you thought it has something to do with the unrest, the war going on between Israel and Hamas, you'd be right. But that's not in Gaza or in southern Israel. That's not on the border with Lebanon and, and northern Israel. In fact, Israel is not even technically part of the equation in here. What you just listened to 
are Palestinians fighting with other Palestinians. This is a part of the war I think is not getting too much coverage, or at least not nearly as much as it should, and that is what's going on in the West Bank. Now, even though most of the focus from the media has been in Gaza, there's been a lot bubbling under the surface in the West Bank. And for most of this year, every time the terror attack happens or a raid or something like that happens, it's usually in the West Bank. So when this war broke out, the first thing I thought was, why is like no explosion happening in the West Bank? Hamas has cells there all the time. Where are they? And I think that their pause probably told them to sit and wait until like a perfect time to start doing their uh, attacks. But we're starting to see some of that unrest in the West Bank and this really volatile part of the Palestinian territories at, uh, right now. This is what uh, Critical Threats Project, which is a uh, a um, a subsidiary, I guess you could say, of the Institute of the Study of War, a think tank. On October 18th, they reported, quote, the rate of clashes between Palestinian militants and Israeli forces in the West Bank expanded by 470% on that day. 470%. The day before, there were just maybe a handful in a few small areas. Uh, they recorded seven uh, small arms clashes in the West Bank and five demonstrations. We get the day later. That, that was this Wednesday. We had clashes in 40 or 40 distinct clashes in 37 different towns in the West Bank. And not all of these, Israel obviously has a heavy military presence there. Not all of these are against Israel. What you just heard there, that clip, that was uh, protesters throwing rocks, throwing improvised explosive devices at Palestinian authority forces. Those are the security forces under PA President Mahmoud Abbas. You hear him sometimes, you know, saying that. The Gazans have a right to defend themselves, so to speak, or, you know, declaring a day of mourning when the when the hospital thing happened. He has to say that because if he doesn't, that that Riley crowd on the street is going to turn on him and stage a revolution in a heartbeat. And he knows that 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 particular uh, uh, riot that you heard that was in Ramallah, the capital. There have been also incidents in play or similar riots in places like Jenin, Nablus. Real, uh, perennial sources of terror against Israel and against the West Bank. But this growing unrest in the West Bank, we haven't seen the end of it by far. As I mentioned, Hamas has terror cells, PIJ has terror cells in these areas all uh, all over the place. What we're seeing mostly so far looks like it's a little bit less organized, a little bit more, um, shall we say, sporadic. We haven't seen the big sieges yet. And unlike Gaza, the West Bank, a, and for one thing, it directly borders Jerusalem. B, like, there are Israeli settlements within the West Bank. That's usually what clashes prior to October 7th are all about. Jews and Arabs going at each other when they're living right next door. This is, if the West Bank gets on fire as much as Gaza is right now, that would change the equation totally. And it would bring Israel from the severe catastrophe that already is going through to an existential crisis. And if this trend continues, that is going to happen, and that is going to happen very, very soon. There's going to be a lot of twists and turns in this, like with everything else in the war. We'll see exactly what happens, but for now, it looks like Israel is in for one really wild ride, and in an area, not just in Gaza, but in this giant swath of territory that geographically is made makes Israel even more vulnerable. Existential crisis. That means a crisis of whether or not you will continue to exist. 
Israel a small country and Gaza a large section of its southeast, a large territory in its southeast, and then the West Bank a large region in its northeast. You look at a map where, where those two are colored in some other color, and they're just enormous chunks, you know, bitten out of Israeli territory. Um, and radical, violent Islam, it's, it's got power, and it's also hard to manage. Uh, I mean, that's one reason why the October 7th mass murder was so shocking. It was very well managed. So quickly here, just give us the uh, context here and where our listeners can learn more. A prophecy in Hosea chapter 5, verse 13, talks about Judah, or the modern Jews in the Middle East, the state of Israel today, having a deadly wound that they look to Europe, which we just talked about earlier in this program, to help fix, but Europe is not going to do that. Our editor-in-chief, Mr. Joe Fleury, in his book of Jerusalem Prophecy, has written that the wound talks about like a binding up of a wound. That's the, what the word means, It's or a remedy. So in other words, the remedy is the wound. He, and he pointed to the peace process, or rather unpeace process, if, if I could use that word, with the Palestinians as being that wound. We're seeing a lot of that going on in Gaza right now, but, I mean, Israel never really wanted Gaza. That's why they disengaged from it. That's why this whole thing started in the first place. The West Bank's a whole different story. Again, there's Israelis communities in the West Bank. They live there. It's right next door to their biggest cities. And... If it flares up as it looks like it's going to, that's going to be a much bigger wound for Israel, and it's going to involve them, uh, a, again, a much bigger crisis. Other prophecies, like in Zechariah 14, basically state that it's this wound, this flare-up with the Palestinians, that's going to start World War III. If our listeners would like to learn more about that, I'd recommend that book, at Jerusalem Prophecy. And also, keep your eyes open for our latest print edition, which just went to the printers yesterday. It's uh, mostly about the war in Israel right now, has a lot of more in-depth coverage on the broader prophetic angle, so stay tuned for that. A deadly wound. The remedy is the wound, like some sort of uh, medieval <laughs> uh, 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 cure that actually kills you. Um, the remedy is the wound. Forfeit territory for promises of peace. I remember hearing about that in Jerusalem and Prophecy, that booklet, uh, when I was a teenager. And it was notable, it was unexpected when I was getting my uh, mind around that, that, uh, that that's what that scripture would mean, and that it would apply to the Israeli peace process, and that the, the solution, this, this attempt to solve the problem, makes it, makes it drastically worse. Now we're looking at this situation, and there is no better, more correct way of describing uh, what Israel is is suffering there. That's a remarkable uh, thing to know. The the deadly wound, to look for that in Jerusalem in prophecy, and, and, and I, I don't know, go straight to that that uh, that section on, on the deadly wound, and then look at the news and look at what's happening in Israel. Andrew Miller, you cover the Anglo-America region for us. Can you give us your update? A lot of big news in Anglo-America this week. A British Broadcasting Corporation show is promoting transgender hormones and surgeries for children. A U.S. district judge issued a gag order against Donald Trump to prevent him from talking about the stolen election. And a full 109 retired U.S. generals urged Congress to back Israel and destroy Hamas. Some pretty dramatic events there. Um, hopefully we'll hear more about, I, I would say, each of those 
in weeks ahead. But what's your uh, main story for this week? The main story is something that happened this week that highlights a longer-term trend about America's precarious financial situation. Now, the event that happened this week is the United States Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen gave an interview with Sky News and said that the United States can certainly afford to support wars on two different fronts. And we'll, uh, we'll actually play that clip from Sky News for you now. In terms of uh, what this all means, Paul Tudor Jones, the famed investor, was on CNBC this week and he said, this is the most threatening and challenging geopolitical environment that I've ever seen. At the same time, the US is in its weakest fiscal position since World War II with debt to GDP at 122%. Can, can America, can the West afford another war at this time? I, I think the answer is absolutely. Um, America can certainly afford to stand with Israel and to support Israel's military needs. And we also can and must support Ukraine in its struggle against Russia. Yeah, so you just heard in that clip uh, Yellen going on and on about uh, how uh, stable the U.S. economy is, how well the U.S. economy is doing, and how we can totally afford to... Uh, uh, keep sending uh, $3 billion a year in military aid to Israel and 30 to $40 billion a year to military aid in Ukraine and billions of more dollars a year to military aid in other nations without a problem. Now, uh, uh, there's a lot to uh, unpack there because, uh, I mean, a lot of conservatives this week have really been making fun of Janet Yellen for these comments. And I, I don't necessarily want to make light of what he's saying because uh, you're looking at these just horrible, horrible atrocities in both Israel and Ukraine, um, similar in magnitude in, in many ways and uh, just massive human rights events that you can definitely argue that the United States does have a moral obligation to back Israel and a moral obligation to back Ukraine. And uh, we have have enough assets and enough credit. We usually rely more on the credit to, to, to borrow money that um, we are obviously sending um, $3 billion a year to Israel and 30-some billion dollars of Ukraine. And it, <laughs> it, it hasn't affected the standard of living of the average American like, say, World War II did with the curfews and the, the women going to the factories and doing like a full-scale war mobilization. But at the same time, you look that World War II um, spiked America's debt-to-GDP ratio well over 100 percent, where our debt was bigger than our economy. Our debt-to-GDP ratio is higher than it was in World War II without a world war. Uh, and so now <laughs> you can't do the same thing again because if you, if you ramp up military spending like you did in World War II, you'd be at 200 percent of debt. So it's like we might be able to, uh, as Yellen says, give this money to Israel and Ukraine this year, but it's not something we can sustain for very long. Uh, I mentioned just in passing last week on this show something I wanted to dwell a little more on if it, uh, and would have if it hadn't been for the, the big news in Israel that the fact that the, the Treasury Department, Yellen's department, <laughs> uh, just released a statement um, 
last week saying in the first 11 months, not even the whole fiscal year, in the first 11 months of fiscal year 2023, the United States spent $807 billion in interest on the national debt and $696 billion on national defense. Uh, so uh, if you're any good at math, that means that the the debt repayment is now 16% higher than military spending. I mean, we've been publishing articles about this for the past 10 years. That uh, That's usually when nations and empires fall apart when is when your interest on your debt exceeds your military spending not because there's anything like magical or mystical about that tipping point it's just the fact that like when you're spending more paying off your debt than you are on defending your nation you can't afford to defend your nation very long it's like a family with like massive credit card debt when the interest payments get high enough you either go bankrupt or drastically slash spending categories that you previously assumed you needed. Uh, in America's cases, overseas military base, military aid to foreign nations is probably going to be the first thing to go when those interest payments start just eating a bigger, bigger portion of the uh, budget. I've actually got a quote here uh, from an article I published a few years ago, Can America Afford Its Military? It's a quote from a writer at the American Conservative that says, as Senator Rand Paul often points out, bankruptcy is the sword of Damocles hanging perilously close to Uncle Sam's neck. What would transpire if Social Security checks stopped showing up in mailboxes and Medicare benefits got caught? When presented with that choice, will the average American choose his social safety net or continued funding in far-off bases like Stuttgart, Okinawa, and Djibouti? Even the most militaristic congressperson will know which way to vote lest they find a mob waiting outside their D.C. castles showing that you're not going to cut the Social Security checks. Eventually, something's got to be cut if the interest rates keep going up, and that is going to be America's military spending uh, where you have to focus on just defending our own borders uh, instead of helping these horrible atrocities in uh, in Israel and in Ukraine and probably soon to be Taiwan and other places. Right, many other places around the world. I mean, spending enormous amounts on the military is hard enough. We've done that for a lifetime now. Spending money on money will kill your economy. And and that's now the has surpassed the military as our largest uh, expenditure. That The listener can have a look at Micah 5 verses 10 through 13 and a look at that article. Can America afford its military? This is Trumpet Hour. We'll be right back. You're listening to Trumpet Hour, the week in review. Welcome back to Trumpet Hour. This is the voice of the Philadelphia Trumpet, a high-quality news magazine that connects what we've been talking about, the economy, the diplomacy, the terrorism, the war, the morals, the choices of the people, uh, two world events, and two Bible prophecy. You can get that magazine, the Philadelphia Trumpet, for free at thetrumpet.com slash subscribe. And as we've been putting together this November-December issue, we had the first half kind of 
planned out and partially done. Then this earthquake of a massacre happened in Israel. We redid the entire first half and more to try to grapple with this and to try to give uh, all the main uh, aspects of this and why this is important. As we're going through that, it has just amazed me how much is tied to Israel, to Jerusalem. This connects to so many things and a country and a city that you, you don't hear of in the news as much as you should. Uh, it connects to everything. It connects to so many different things. And so as we've been working on the magazine, as we've been working on this show, as we've been working on other things for The Trumpet, the website, of course, trumpet.com, um, different things have stood out to me. And I feel like, oh, we we, sh- we need another half an issue for this, and we need another half an issue for, for this, and another show to really get across all the uh, the significance of what is happening here. So, like, in this process, Mihailo Zekic, uh, what's one of the things that stood out to you? Well, there's been quite a few things. Um, one of the biggest, I'd say, is just how much of a of a false sense of security like Israel and the West in general, I think, had with the reality of the world we live in and et cetera up until this point. Um, there's that uh, scripture in First Thessalonians 5, verses 1 to 2, which talks about when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction will, will come on. That's prophetically speaking, that's for something else than what we're talking about specifically now. But I think that in general, people have been saying peace and safety and have just forgotten a lot of all the bad things about how this world works and everything. For my segment for this radio program, for the longest time, um, we were talking about, say, the the judicial reform crisis in Israel and how Israelis were seeing Benjamin Netanyahu as the the source of all evil in the country and there's like an existential threat to the country. Even as Israel has been surrounded by all these neighbors that do pose an existential threat, as we talked about in the uh, earlier program. And I think, you know, living, and I've, I've been to Israel a couple of times, it's a first world society. It's the people live basically the same standards as they do in the West, except they're surrounded by all these countries that want to kill them. And I think people just sort of forget how dangerous the world actually is. And even just with some of the coverage at Hamas, I'm honestly a little bit surprised with some of the media. Like, obviously what happened is very horrific and whatnot, but Hamas has been doing this kind of thing for a long time. I mean, it does that, like, you know, slaughtering children with its own people. It uses them as human, women and children as human shields. It's been doing that for a very long time. And even, like, for Israeli, again, what they're going through is really horrible, but... I mean, if they were doing it for their own, to their own people for all these years, I mean, is it that surprising that once they have an opportunity to do it to you, that this kind of thing would happen? Like, we talked a lot on this program and in some of our online coverage on how people thought that Hamas could be dealt with as we give these people the jobs that Hamas can be dealt with as a, that we could live side by side with a terrorist state. No, you can't. And we, it's not just Hamas, you know, there's Hamas's paymasters in Iran and, and uh, Hezbollah and Lebanon and whatnot, but also Russia, China, uh, the article Jeremiah brought out about world leaders that no longer have a human mind. That That's not just a, a new phenomenon that started on October 7. This has been, shall we say, the general state of affairs with countries going to war with other countries, with countries killing other people for all of human history. And we could talk about we've moved on as as a civilization past this kind of thing. 
everyone's equal now we can all hold hands and sing kumbaya this is the world we live in how many times has mr flurry said that our number one problem today is human survival we've seen it we've seen it for decades i think at this point finally the rest of the world is starting to wake up to that as well and if they're waking up to it with everything else that's happened you know things are getting serious and it's going to be a wild ride ahead right i mean a false sense of security the evil exists it absolutely exists the world is not just the sum total of socioeconomic status we've got to get past that evil exists and that's scary to realize and it's and it opens up a whole a whole new uh dimension but evil exists so the spirit exists i mean that's something that's really stood out to me what about you andrew miller you do fact checking you do the infographics you write uh for the for the philadelphia trumpet trumpet.com what's been something stood out to you yeah i did um either yesterday or the day before i was doing some research on the number of pro hamas protest for like a mini infographic in this issue and uh i think i counted 78 like pro hamas in, in nations like australia new zealand canada united states and just the support in the western world for hamas has really uh shocked me um it probably shouldn't but it's, it's gotten so much worse over the years i uh gonna... it, sh- it should shock you <laughs> i mean it has shocked me because i'm gonna i'm gonna age myself a little bit here but i remember 18 years ago i was uh working as an ecologist at a nature center so a lot of the people my colleagues there were um uh university educated and um different science departments and that was back in 2005 when israel withdrew from gaza and I was, uh, of course, reading the trumpet, just shocked at just the shameful weakness of Israel withdrawing for Gaza and worried about all the problems <laughs> that were going to happen down the road from that. But I remember being really shocked at the time about all the colleagues who were going on about how, yeah, Israel needs to do this. And like the, the, the poor Palestinians in Gaza have been so oppressed by the Israeli government for, for so long. Um, and I thought maybe over time, as they saw like how much worse things have gotten in Gaza and how much worse the violence would go, that like people like that would <laughs> maybe wake up a little bit. But I I saw yesterday preparing for this segment that the City University of New York, which granted is one of the more liberal universities um, in America, has had over eighty faculty members sign a statement talking about how. Uh, the current Hamas attack with the uh, all the blood and the rape and the killing babies is a legitimate military operation, like Hamas defending their interests. So they not only has the like liberal academia not backed down from the Hamas as the victims here, uh, but now even saying that like when you, you see these pictures of <laughs> of uh, the, the women raped and the, the babies killed, and um, I think our, if we kept the current cover of the trumpet, it's a pretty graphic uh, image of a murder scene in there like all that is actually like hamas has well they have their reasons right it's legitimate i mean evil exists and it it exists not only in hamas it exists in those people in those in the i mean and and they're friendly people you know if you talk to them they would be friendly they would seem down to earth some of them you know you wouldn't just see them and 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 fear them or hate them they 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 don't have to i mean they're they're sophisticated people there's e- there's evil in their minds. I mean, there there is evil, and it's 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 not just in Hamas, and it's affecting. I mean, it's it, I, I I characterize it as anti-human. It's anti-human, and it's an infecting humans uh, everywhere. And I mean, 
can you say this is not the times of the Gentiles? Can you say that world leaders don't have the minds of beasts when you see people celebrating, not the Palestinian people, celebrating the murders? They're celebrating the murders. That's, that's shocking. I think there's a lot of lessons about how to deal with evil as well that come out of this. And even that the world just doesn't know the way of peace. I mean, one of the huge lessons, and Simon talked about this, like you compromise with evil and Hamas's attack on Gaza is what you got. You know, Israel gave up, they pulled out of Gaza, they gave it to the Palestinians who immediately elected Hamas and they launched this rocket attack. And if you compromise with evil, they will just then attack you from a stronger position and you will suffer more. And the entire rest of the world right now is telling Israel, hold back, don't go into gut, you know, like don't deal with the problem. And some of those people are anti-Semites and just evil people. I think a lot of those people are well-meaning and they right. don't want to see death. And they're like, right. well, we don't want Palestinian to, we didn't like Jewish babies dying, but we don't want Palestinian babies to die either. Uh, but they fundamentally don't know the way to peace. Because the way to peace does not come from compromising with evil. The only thing that comes from compromising with evil is more evil. And so it, it, I mean, it points to the need for Jesus Christ's return, ultimately, and you know, everything that we point to on this show, because it shows that you know, it, the only way to peace is for that evil to be conquered. And at this point in time, you know, who's going to do that? And ultimately, you know, Britain and America, are we going to conquer evil? Well, we have our own evils, too. They're not right. going around murdering babies directly, but you look at the way we push LGBT propaganda on the world. I just read a horrific article this week about the state of pornography in British schools and what that has done to the minds of so many young people. Like We're pushing a different type of evil, you could say. Uh, so there's no hope in man, but the, the hope comes from attacking evil, right. dealing with evil. Right. And that's that's what we're that's what this whole show is all about pointing to the time when that evil and the cause of all of mankind's problems is going to be dealt with absolutely right it's not a matter of socioeconomics it's not i read this thing about this about free will and this professor who studied for like 15 years like oh I, we don't have free will because he's an evolutionist right we have free will there is good and there is evil evil exists like we've been saying and 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 there's no such thing as as like this middle ground right evil exists and it spreads it's like it's like a law of physics that that this that this thing this anti-human thing that that celebrates murder that 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 uh commits abortion that that brings pornography into schools where, where girls in schools are doing whatever boys are seeing on on uh pornography that's evil. That's anti-human. And good, like you're saying, comes from conquering evil. There's no there's no coexistence. There's no neutrality. There's no middle ground. And the evil's getting stronger. And until Israel does something with it, but until each of us like does something, the evil that comes in our lives in the West and, and in, in our individual lives, the evil will spread. Guaranteed. And, and we're seeing that more and more. So it's a war, and there is no neutrality. There's no middle ground. And I think that's that's a great point to bring out, and the hope there being in the good, and the good doesn't come from any of us. It doesn't come from Israel or, or, or America. It comes only from God and from uh, the government of God, you said there, with the return of Jesus Christ. That's all the time we do have 
for today. So we'll wrap it up there. We do appreciate you listening. We appreciate our staff uh, and all the work that they do, Isaac Lorenz, Parker Campbell. And uh, we appreciate all the Philadelphia Trumpet Print staff as well, uh, many of whom are on this show and many of whom uh, are not, uh, as they put together that uh, very important issue of the Philadelphia Trumpet, which goes to press today, in fact. It goes to the printer today. So subscribe to the Trumpet. Stay with us on Trumpet Hour. We'll see you next week on Wednesday and on the Friday show when we bring you the next edition of the Week in Review.